Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Silviva podcast, the podcast about learning in and with nature. We offer you up-to-date, evidence-based information about the practice of learning outdoors, teaching outside the classroom, nature-based environmental education, place-based education, and related topics. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and a very warm welcome to the Silviva podcast. We bring you a series of interviews with some of the world's top researchers in outdoor learning. In this podcast, Dr. Eric Migind and myself, Dr. Rolf Jucker, discussed the three chapters to which Eric has contributed in a recent research volume that Rolf has edited. The volume is called High Quality Outdoor Learning, Evidence-Based Education Outside the Classroom for Children, Teachers and Society. It was published by Springer Nature in 2022. See also the show notes for a link. You can either download the entire book as a PDF or an EPUB. You can download individual chapters or you can read them online. And now I bring you Dr. Eric Mugind. A very warm welcome to you, Eric. Before we launch into your research work, give us a bit of background. What is your educational journey and why are you interested in outdoor learning? Yeah, thank you for being part of this uh, podcast. Well, it's uh, firsthand, I thought a little bit about what happens during childhood and youth uh, about being in nature. But, uh, let me jump straight into your question now, because I think uh, actually it's, it's very important what, what you experience during childhood and, and youth. Talking about my interest in outdoor learning, the point of departure um, could be the early ages uh, where I was employed as assistant professor at the Department of Sports Sciences in Copenhagen. And besides teaching in European handball, volleyball, track and field, uh, I taught these students in winter sports like cross-country skiing, alpine skiing, and winter mountaineering. Okay. And made courses, you know, in Norway and Sweden. And then through the 70s and 80s, I had a lot of practical and theoretical lessons with the, my students in, in these uh, sports I mentioned. But then in the 80s, half of my job was to develop previously, or you could call it outdoor life, in Danish nature settings. And this was the first time actually where previously or outdoor life, uh, beside orienteering, of course, uh, was introduced to a Danish university. Okay. Uh, and integrated in a PE program. Yep. So now, you know, the, the PE students, they experience a new subjects, so to say, um, outdoor life, where pedagogy and learning took place during several days and with different forms of togetherness, living and movement, and uh, where... Uh, they were faced with nature-changing conditions and challenges. Mm -hmm. So that was new for the students. And during the 80s, P students typically participated then in from two days to five days courses uh, or days in, in nature. And um, the same concept was then also offered teachers, pedagogues, and teachers from teachers' education during service training courses are made. You know, and then gradually my interest in nature 
And also because I was teaching sea kayaking and canoeing yep. and doing winter activities in Sweden and Norway. Then also my interest increased in pedagogy, outdoor guiding, outdoor instruction, and also, you know, to improve actor, uh, practical outdoor skills with yes. students. And then in summary, if I should sum, sum up to this, I found that <clears throat> something special happened with students when you're doing outdoor live trips. And uh, then I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the potentials I experienced doing outdoor living, uh, but also dig down into the learning of in theory and practice. So in 1993, after about 10 years, then I decided actually to do reduce my teaching significantly in uh, what I have been doing, uh, you know, all the mentioned uh, subjects like European handball, track and field. Yep. So I left my PhD research competences. That, that was left behind. I, I taught uh, training doctrines and physiology. You know, my, my PhD focused very much on physical activity, training methods, endurance training, and yes. enzyme activity and performance, optimization, mountainous and Swedish elite cross-country skiers, because it, it fit well in the ages because I was a natural, uh, national Danish cross-country ski coach in Denmark. So at the same time, I started because of interest with nature and uh, outdoor learning. After two years, I had prepared uh, at my institute uh, a one-year full-time outdoor education study. And I, it was accepted from the head of the school that I started uh, this education. Mm -hmm. um, and it was possible at my institute because they also offered in-service training courses for teachers and pedagogues. Um, okay. And then the next... I think that was very interesting because uh, I went almost full time into the outdoors next to 17 years. Um, wow. Yeah, so so that's, that's, what, that's part of my background, I would say. Uh, yep. In order to get into the outdoors and uh, yeah, outdoor learning. Cool. Um, you initially you mentioned um, that you believe that it's quite it has an impact what you experience in in childhood um so did you personally have a life-changing uh, learning intense um experience in nature or with nature in in childhood which might have also helped trigger your interest in outdoor learning yeah, I would say so because I was in a lucky position that I I spent actually two years in Iceland with my parents in my grade one and two. Mm -hmm. and then and then I um, we moved to and I lived for a number of many years uh, close to a lake with forest around me, and I was doing a lot of dinghy sailing on this lake, and I had my own canoe. And, um, you know, every time when I came back also in secondary grade and tertiary grade gymnasium, I spent a lot of time on the lake and in the forest. And I think that um, that's really where some kind of connectedness to nature came yeah. to me. And then I spent you know, 10 years just doing lead sports and other stuff 
Oh, of course, yeah. But then, but then you know, later on, it, it's just a reflection, you know. It's, it's yep. uh, uh, I think that has been also part of my interest for getting into uh, learning activities later on in life and also in, in an educational context. Yeah. Could you maybe so, say something you mentioned beforehand, you know, the, the effects you see, saw on students when you took them out for three days or you, for five days, or maybe also uh, relate back to what you experienced yourself when you were out there on a lake on, on, uh, in your kayak? What would you say were the kind of the, the most visible or the most important effects you could see? Of course, it's just they feel they enjoy the challenges about doing stuff in nature. Mm -hmm. Because uh, many what was a new experience, uh, doing sea kayaking or canoeing stuff. And, you know, this is, I talk about e-students. So they they enjoy very much uh, physical kind of challenges and to learn about new uh, movements. I wouldn't call it new sports because it's but it it was uh, built on. Uh, they had to learn about a lot of safety issues as well, and they had to tumble, <laughs> what, what do you call it, roll a kayak and so on. So that was one part of it. It is just enjoying to be out there, but also. The togetherness, the two students, when they talk around the campfire at night about what they experienced during the day and also just enjoy what is going on when uh, at the time, you know, a kind of relaxed, relaxedness mm -hmm. um, being out there and they didn't have to think about what is going on back at home where uh, everything is, you know, um, they're on computers, they're doing stuff all the time. It, it was uh, like uh, uh, they had to, they could get deeper into just to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, and and when I evaluated the, the courses, that was often what this, they mentioned was that, well, they had very good talks together about Stuff. They didn't talk about uh, in a daily lifetime. They just enjoyed to be in nature surroundings, the changing conditions, and also uh, something. Sometimes something in, unexpected happened, which is also a bit different from daily life. Mm -hmm. So it's just part of it. But in, I think that's. It differs from uh, student to student, yeah. how they, they adapt to this, yes. Um, yes. Uh, of course. But I love the, the physical activity which is going on out there. And uh, just be there. And uh, of course, it's mentioned too that the animals they, they experience at night, they hear the owl. They haven't heard about that in the city at all. You know, they hear the birds during the day. But also, we have some. Uh, some of the task would be to learn about nature, mm -hmm. uh, and and of course, that's part of, a, of the experience too. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. so could we say that that um, it actually expanded their uh, horizon of experiences, uh, including uh, a certain kind of freedom, um, which they might not have in the same way in in their daily life. Yeah. That's it, yeah. 
it it definitely I agree on this uh, on how you explain it. Yeah? Okay, let's take the discussion on onto a slightly different level. Um, we could say that schooling is in upheaval the world over. You know, humanity is facing quite a number of grave challenges, such as uh, reinventing democracy in the face of aggressive dictatorships, such as Russia and China. We have climate change. We have the biodiversity loss. Uh, you name it. You know, there's a there's quite quite a long list of these challenges. Now, uh, a lot of people, based on these challenges, have started to say, okay, we really need to think. Um, the role of schooling in the 21st century if we want to grapple and come to terms with these challenges. Now, do you think that outdoor learning has a role to play in this reflection of how schooling should look in the 21st century? Oh, well, it's, I think it's a challenging question you put there. And it's, it's not easy to answer, but I, maybe a few comments here. I would say that beside family, school is the place where people spend many hours, week mm -hmm. after week, year after year. And they're in contact with and taught teachers and they're in dialogue with teachers. So beside the general skills, uh, they get in different subjects. I think it's of importance that democratic and also critical thinking is on the agenda uh, during elementary school years. And uh, the question is whether outdoor learning has more to offer as compared to classroom teaching. I think the teacher is the key here. It depends on the focus uh, the teacher choose for the day and probably also how they decide to teach in for instance, the outdoor learning setting. Here the pupil might gain practical insight and knowledge and experience if they choose so the teacher about, for instance, climate change and biodiversity loss, uh, if this is on the agenda. But this is probably a task of most relevance in secondary school or maybe the tertiary school or nation, yep. uh, to, my, to my mind in a way. Maybe regular teaching and learning in nature, and also if you use cultural settings, it in a way to create more self-insight or maybe mutual familiarity or recognition between pupils or pupil to pupil or pupil to teacher. And in a way, you could say it strengthens the development as a whole person or something like that. But I, I think it's a, a question too. Uh, say whether uh, outdoor learning really has something to contribute to here. It, it's maybe in combination with what's going on during school time uh, in general. Yes, yeah. I, I think you're right. You know, I, I, I'm 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 very interested in that aspect you mentioned. You know, that on the one hand, the teacher is key. I think that's absolutely the case. But at the same time, uh, it is important that we think about this question because, as you said, um, schooling is a very important part of every child's life. You know, they spend a lot of time there, as you mentioned. So um, I think it is an important 
question that we carefully think about how we construct uh, and fill this time and what we do with this time. Um, but let's home in a little bit more on outdoor learning. What would you say to somebody, if that somebody even exists, I don't know, but to somebody who has not really heard about outdoor learning, um, what would you say to them to justify why outdoor learning should be a part of every pupil's journey through school? Well, I, I would... I would like to highlight what is going on the last 20 years here in Denmark, in a way. The research in outdoor education in elementary school, um, this is, you know, this is based on quantity as well as quality methods and results. So I, I think I would mention the Danish Teach Out Research Projects. Uh, that could be, in, in a way, uh, um, one way to, yeah, talk about our argument for, for doing outdoor stuff, doing outdoor learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would highlight that the results, will, some of the results here, and uh, um, at one hand, you know, pupils are more physically active during school, school or outdoor learning as compared to traditional school days. And this is in the case in particular for boys as compared to girls. Yep. But also, boys, as compared to control classes, which has been um, investigated in the Danish Teach Research Project. Further, you could say that the pupils are more happy being taught in school as compared to classroom teaching, and the pupils in the control classes. You could also say that pupils are more motivated for schoolwork. And here we talk about a higher intrinsic motivation as compared to pupils in control classes. About learning, you know, the pupils learn just as much as in, for instance, math. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, even more in reading skills as compared to control classes. So what we can see is also that pupils thrive with the variation in teaching. Um, both in nat- nature surroundings, green areas, but also in cultural settings or institutions uh, during the week. And they enjoy also the more pupil-centered teaching methods, which is often used in the school. Mm-hmm. And uh, here, acquaintances occur during the school activities, also as compared to traditional school days or being in, in traditional school. So, and about teachers, you could say that uh, they often mention challenges. There's much more to do, more work to do if they do school, but they find it worth the effort because it's very often uh, in accordance with the personal values of teachers. So, <clears throat> I think I would argue from what is what research tells us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, you, you've, you've really given us a, a beautiful summary of the three central chapters that you have uh, contributed to the uh, research volume I mentioned in the intro. Um, you know, you've contributed three chapters, Ude School of Pupils, Physical Activity and Gender Perspectives, Pupils' Wellbeing, Mental Health and Social Health, together with Matt's 
uh, bowling and Uder School irregular teaching outside the classroom together with Karen Barfoot. So you've been involved in Uder School research for, for a long time now. You've also pioneered a lot of that research uh, in terms of you know, um, new and interesting qualitative and quantitative methods. So based on that broad experience, what would you say are the particular strengths and the particular weaknesses also of outdoor learning? Or maybe more importantly, you know, where is the evidence base from the research particularly strong? Where do we know reliably um, what's happening if we take uh, learning outdoors? And where do you think does the research base need strengthening? Where where are the gaps? What what do we need to look into? Well, yeah, I, I could try maybe to take it in, in three parts, you know, first mm -hmm. strengths, and then maybe talk a little bit about weaknesses. Yep. And then about what we could do to or strengthening. Maybe I, I about strengths, I think I have, I will uh, probably say something what I talked about about the teach out research projects, you know. So anyway, uh, strengths will say that pupils in primary school seem to be more motivated to outdoor learning. They're more physically active and this contract, you know, the inactivity, which is an increasing health problem in mm -hmm. our societies. Um, research, our research and other research in Uri School demonstrate that pupils learn at least the same degree as control classes. And we did test it in, for instance, Danish and math as examples. Uh, I mentioned before, also outdoor learning seemed to strengthen the connection between teacher and pupils and between the pupils. And again, influences the togetherness in the class. And this is quite important that the class milieu improves. And it is sometimes a problem when this is not a, a well-functional class and there's a lot of, um, what would you say? Yeah, mobbing. Do you call it mobbing? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. They're going on in the class. And this seems to, you don't see much of this in Uri School. But anyway, then, uh, although it is demanding and it does, it's also challenging for Uri School teachers, they still thrive because of Outdoor learning is a co co coincidence with their own values, as I mentioned before, too. So yep. I think this is some of the strengths with uh, doing Uri School. Mm -hmm. and one more, maybe, which is important to talk about again, um, outdoor learning often open for the unpredictable situations, which means that something happens, you wouldn't see it in, in the classroom, uh, I have a, a funny story about, um, I observed, you know, the one of the classes, uh, of the classes uh, walking in the forest, they were doing orienteering activities. The teachers had planned very carefully what they were expected to do. And suddenly, you know, they uh, discovered a lot of frogs in a ditch uh, <laughs> in the forest. And all the kids, you know, they run after these frogs, and we were then starting to talk about what is going on, and uh, they were running around for half an hour, and the teachers, you know, wow, now our plans are going wrong, you know, we were expected to do a lot of quarantine stuff, <laughs> but they allowed the kids, you know, to 
look at these frogs and run around and count how many there were. And it was a, quite a bit unexpected that they were there because it was quite far from a pond. This meant that the teachers, they talked about with the kids about these frogs. Oh, we have to pick it up when we get back to the classroom and write a story about this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids, in particular the boys, they went home and tried to figure out something about frogs and how they live and so on. Yep. Uh, so uh, it's just one example of, of uh, some, uh, nature has a potential to there are also the weather, you know, everything else could be uh, give examples, but the unpredictable part of it is interesting and it creates some energy and uh, mm-hmm. motivation and uh, yeah, interest among the, the pupils. But the, the weakness you could just say is the teachers feel that they have planned, you know, what to do and expected here to do uh, orienteering activities and they have to maybe do some kind of rearrangement at another time so um, it is a, it might might challenge you know the plans the teachers do you could call it maybe a weakness unpredictable mm-hmm. uh, it's a strength to me that, yep that's what nature offer but okay we could talk about the weaknesses uh, more uh, here I, I think that if there's a lack of support from head of school or colleagues, that could be a problem for the school teacher. It's often, you know, as mentioned, a more time-consuming plan and to do. There mm-hmm. are safety issues they have to cope with. Just leaving, you know, a school in Copenhagen to go to a clean area, they have to figure out how, how do we work. So often it's, it's more expensive because you have to be two teachers for the safety reasons, mm-hmm. if uh, they go in traffic situation or even bike, then there's maybe a lack of knowledge and experience how to use nature in learning process. Yes. And that is, of course, a, a, a big issue. Uh, how, to, how do you combine in and out for learning and teaching? So it could be a weakness that there is a lack of school in service training courses and also courses integrated, uh, integrated in teachers' education. But something, in, in, anyway, in Denmark, there's a lot of effort going on uh, to do in-service training courses and a discussion also about how to integrate school in teachers' education as well. This was maybe part of the weaknesses when, where, where, how could we strengthen this? Um, in particular, talking about research, I think what is needed is longer lasting research periods. Yep. You know, we have done one year. My first research project was back in 2000 to 2003. And here we spent three years, but only with one class. Yes. A, a little, very little number. Yeah. So if it's possible to do more than one year, I think it might do quite a lot of difference if we could do some kind of research here. Yep. There's a funding problem here, yes, of course, and there's a problem with teachers mm. to be in a process for three years. That's that's quite demanding. Yeah, and in particular, if you want to do it both randomized uh, an RTC study mm-hmm. or even uh, um, 
any kind of research project where you involve teachers and ask them to do something and even to do something in control classes. That's, that's, a, that's a big problem, doing real-life investigations. Next, you could say that more research studies with high number of pupils and students, that's, that's needed, mm-hmm. uh, but also with control classes. Yep. Um, but if it's possible to do randomized outdoor learning studies, that, that would be strengthen the whole uh, school um, knowledge. But it's, it's very hard to do, to analyze in real world. Yeah, it's, it's not easy to get accept and uh, both teachers, as I mentioned, and, and teachers in control classes. We, we do not have the money, you know, to pay teachers to jump into something like that for such a long period. Now, that, I think that's really, that would strengthen the school research, but uh, I think it's hard to do randomized outdoor learning uh, in Ude school. Yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally agree. You know, I, I, I see these challenges as well. I would very much welcome uh, randomized uh, trials and long-term trials um, because they would give us a far better insight into the successful integration and mainstreaming of Udi schooling into normal schooling. Yet at the same time, I think, uh, you know, with, with very many indoor uh, subjects, uh, we have exactly the same problem. You know, there, there, there are also not necessarily long-term, uh, methodologically sound uh, research uh, samples there. So, so it, it is, as you say, it is a big challenge. But I was particularly uh, taken by you mentioning three other points. You know, which 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 I like to 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 re iterate because they seem to me so important you know the the one thing you mentioned is the bond between teachers and pupils and and even pupils amongst themselves and i mean the you know the 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 hattie study has clearly shown that that this is by far the most important aspect of successful learning you know that 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 you manage to create a, a trusting bond between teachers and learners, that is the starting point of, of, of all good learning. So, so that's very interesting that you mentioned that because that is corroborated by, you know, learning research in, 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 in indoor learning. And, and the other thing you mentioned, that the unforeseen things that happen uh, we tend to joke to teachers uh, when we do our, our courses um, that losing control is the best thing which can happen to you as a teacher because it actually puts you into the same situation as the kids. You know, you 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 are faced with something unexpected, and then you you need to learn. You need to learn together because you 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 don't maybe don't know what's happening here. You have to do research. You have to ask questions. You have to find out. And and we find that Udi School provides a really fantastic springboard for really doing this. You know that that the teacher and the pupils actually are in a genuine learning situation. And the third thing you mentioned is something which we picked up in 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 Switzerland as well. That's a a hard thing to do, but I think it's it's one of the most important things to do, and that is integration of Udi School training 
into pre-service and in-service uh, teacher training. A very rich summary which you which you provided us uh, with here. If I could just mention one thing more, we talked yep. about the RCT uh, studies and so on. Actually, here in Denmark, we we're trying to do so. There's a a new say you could call it THR2 or we call it uh, move out the move out study. And it is uh, the purpose of move out is to investigate the effect of one school year with extracurricular activities again four hours per week on children's and young people's movements, behavior, school motivation, well-being, and learning. And it is an RCT study they are doing. Fantastic to, to, to do something here. Yeah. Um, and the way they uh, they try to do it is that <clears throat> one year. Uh, some are uh, by lotting. Uh, they uh, they are school teachers for one year, but then next year, those who are in control classes will be school classes. So there's a swap, you could yep. say, after one year, in order to motivate yes. teachers to do so. So, so this is a uh, this is an ongoing one. It's it's now uh, started in 2022 and will finish in 2026. And uh, what is new here in this move, move Out project is also that uh, secondary uh, pupils are involved. So it's, it's from uh, grade four to nine, this uh, study is trying to investigate what is going on in Uwe School. And that, uh, a total of 30 schools are involved in this project. Just to, just to say that here we try to, to, to do something with uh, an RCT Type of approach. Yep, fantastic. Thanks very much for mentioning that. And you, you're also giving me the, the the perfect launching pad for for my next question. Because in Switzerland, we sometimes have the problem that there is a common conception that outdoor learning is something for young kids. You know, it's 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 cute, it's nice. They like to be out in nature and uh, they can play out there and so forth. Um, but the further they get on with their schooling, you know, secondary schools and uh, tertiary education, um, that's not important anymore because then the real learning starts and their nature gets into the way. Um, that's a common conception we, we we are faced with continuously. What would you say there? Is 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 that true? I mean, is is outdoor learning only for primary school kids, or do you think that outdoor learning has really something to contribute and to offer also for secondary and tertiary education? Yeah, let me start with saying that I think that I think there's a gap, as I mentioned, in research related to secondary and tertiary education. And some of the explanation is, I think, a concern that academic skills can't be reached if regular education outside the classroom are practiced yep. uh, in secondary and tertiary education. Um, there is a need to investigate whether Udskole in both secondary and tertiary school has the same positive uh, impact, mm -hmm. both with strengths and weaknesses as the research in primary school. Here in Denmark, there is an ongoing discussion in the school system that practical learning activities are downplayed and academic skills prioritized, which again seem to favor the girls mainly and to less degree the boys. This discussion is 
ongoing now. And actually, while we are talking, there's a, a lot of discussion how we can make the school more practical yep. and not so academic. Yep. And here, I think there is a lot of potentials in school we are talking which we're talking about. <clears throat> From grade one to 10, more and more time is used uh, teaching the academic skills and theory and less practical skills and uh, hands-on activities. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And at the same time, we know from uh, well-documented research that pupils' motivation gradually uh, seem to drop during yes. school time, yes. So that's a problem too. So the question is, of course, whether school is part of the solution, and I think so, because uh, it picks up a lot of, of, of the problems which we have so far discussed here. And uh, I, to my knowledge, uh, there are no arguments why secondary and tertiary classes should not use school mm. as part of the school's toolbox. Yep. Um, it, it's, a, of course, a matter of uh, how the teachers look at this working with a secondary school and even more when you talk about gymnasium. And as I mentioned, you know, in Denmark, we have this new school project called Move Out, which will investigate the effects of school yep. through the 30 schools I mentioned, and one or more classes in grades uh, four to nine. So we will see what, what uh, is the outcome of this, because we have some kind of results from grades seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think, as you say, it's it's not readily apparent why Udiskula couldn't contribute something to secondary and tertiary schooling because a, a lot of the, the issues we mentioned uh, can, in fact, be addressed by what we call real-world learning, you know, that, that you really go out into the complexity of the real world and study issues uh, that might be social, ecological, economic problems in the real world and uh, together with st students try to find uh, innovative, uh, interesting, helpful solutions to these problems. And um, outdoor learning can, in our view, uh, really contribute to that. And there's no, as you say, there's, there's no apparent reason why this shouldn't be the case um, later on in schooling. Um, yeah, I, I agree totally. And <clears throat> I think we talked about uh, instant climate change and biodiversity. Yes. And that's so obvious to to dig into this. And uh, I think um, teachers in secondary school and gymnasium, they there's a lot of, of opportunities to leave yes. the school and go to um, all kind of actors who are now doing uh, research in wind energy and other other kind of green energy and so on. So, and uh, just as well as they could visit nature's uh, areas where there's are projects running how to improve biodiversity. And yep. we talk a lot, a lot about that in Denmark because we have uh, a lot of agriculture areas. Yes. So, I think it's just a matter of, of uh, ideas and uh, being motivated to, to leave the school uh, as a teacher. And maybe the, as well, is, um, it's a matter of, of having a kind of support in service training courses also for teachers in secondary and nation school, uh, teachers in, in, in this situation. 
Yep, yeah. I totally agree. You yeah. know, on on those points, you know that that it can be a valid and and valuable uh, contribution to schooling. But at the same time, we might have to think more carefully about the support that is needed for teachers to actually be able to do it. I've got yeah. the second last question. Um, you know, Denmark has a particularly strong history of outdoor learning, almost more so than any other country in the world. Why do you think this is the case? What is so attractive about Udi Skule? Okay, well, I should try to find answers or donations to your question. Um, maybe allow me to take a step back uh, in time and uh, link to this one-year philosophy study I mentioned earlier, when mm -hmm. I spent, you know, 17 years. Um, here, one of the students was a teacher from Rødkilde School in Copenhagen, and he was so convinced that philosophy or outdoor life, it holds potentials, both in theory and practice, which is useful also in a, a primary school context. And he asked me if a research team would be able to follow a grade two class for three years, which was from 2000 to 2003, I mentioned before. And from a research perspective, I found it's very interesting to follow a class during a three-year period. And we got funds, I got funds, and then we made the very first Danish school research project. That was a reality then. And uh, it was called, you know, the Rødkilde Project, and the results was published in a number of Danish articles and summarized in an anthology in 2005 and finally in two scientific papers which was followed in 2007 and 2009 and then what is important why it uh, there's maybe a strong history of outdoor learning in Denmark because in the same period when I started here a homepage called Skåren i skolen the forest in the school they collected uh, outdoor learning teaching stuff in different subjects like Danish, math, history, biology, and so on, from an increasing number of teachers who started outdoor uh, regular outdoor yep. learning and took inspiration also from the Rikile And the school concept was then gradually spread all over Denmark. And then a PhD study in 2007 to nine made even uh, school even more visible in an international context because Peter Benson added four scientific papers uh, to the previous two. So then the school concept was now defined, analyzed and described, and then also strength and weaknesses discussed. And mm -hmm. then in 2009, this PhD project showed that 14% of Danish elementary schools had one or more classes that, that uh, but then the, we have talked about the Teach Out project because the most obvious reason for that Udskole uh, has taken a world-leading role, so to say, well, it is the Danish uh, Teach Out research project from 2014 yeah. to 18. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with this quasi uh, experimental design, uh, nearly a thousand pupils from grade uh, three to six uh, were analyzed including some, uh, or some of the teachers. And for the first time, also control or parallel classes were included um, in this school study. And the results are now spread worldwide to uh, 15 
scientific papers and 17 book chapters, which of, of, uh, eight of these are in English. So the research is probably the, the main reason why you could call maybe uh, that, that Denmark is, is doing well in research in Ule School. I think you're totally right. You know, I mean, in my view, um, the, the Teach Up project really has set new standards, has raised the bar uh, for research in Udi School uh, worldwide, and that has really had a, a, a tremendous impact. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I agree there with you. Now let's let's come to my last question. This has been an absolutely fantastic and interesting uh, discussion so far. But as a kind of farewell gift to our listeners, what is your vision for outdoor learning, say in 2050? Oh, 2050. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to coincide with all these um, these uh, um, ideas about, um, you know, uh, climate change mitigation in 2050 and so forth. Everybody talks about 2050 these days. So what, what, what is the vision for outdoor learning in 2050? Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I hope that uh, there's still an increasing number of teachers and schools worldwide find suitable models for how to integrate regular outdoor learning but also with the respect for the different nature and nature availability also the cultural and educational traditions uh, you find in each country in our danish research definition of school we encourage the teachers you know to use nature green areas parks churchyards as well as, as museums factories railway stations etc but I hope that schools and teachers from each country and region choose destinations which is meaningful to the teacher and also fulfill the subject objectives and motivate pupils' desire to learn. Uh, in other words, we could say combine both hands-on and academic skills outside and inside uh, classroom teaching. And I think it's important that teachers who want to practice regular outdoor learning, among other things, are supported by heads of schools and will be offered in service training courses. And you could say that then what should be the content or what should be um, the subject in these service training courses? Well, it should be to pick up some of the big challenges we have climate changes, biodiversity, and try to put this more on the agenda than we do until now, uh, on the agenda in the years to come. Finally, I hope that based on research results that uh, outdoor education, school is put on the political, political agenda in an increasing number of countries in a way that for instance, that a general school introduction course, or maybe you could have a specialization course or module that students can choose in the teacher training programs in Denmark or in other countries, and that this is integrated in the teacher's education, uh, that school is in, uh, integrated. Because this is, uh, I think, from being a grassroots movement where engaged teachers has done so far. We know that 20% in Denmark anyway are doing school on a regular basis. 
but if this number has, uh, is going to increase in the years to come, I think uh, the key is the, the teacher training programs and teacher education. And uh, in these courses, you have to think or rethink how you face the oncoming future challenges like biodiversity and how nature can be used in this kind of situations, but also uh, cultural institutions like factories and, and research which is doing going on in in how to shape a green world. I'm sure that if we can, if this will happen, that will boost the development of school besides the 20% I mentioned now. And uh, so you could say that my vision is something which can uh, take place over time, not only in Denmark, but hopefully will develop also in a number of other countries. Yeah, but it's uh, it's, it's not easy, you know, to give uh, another, yeah, how, how can you say it? I think the most important part of it is how we face the climate change problems and try to figure out what outdoor learning can do in this connection. And so with the biodiversity, that could be the most, most prominent subjects to include in, in school. And in, in fact, if this could happen in secondary school and in gymnasium, that will be really a vision uh, to me. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You're speaking directly to my heart with that vision, Eric. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talking to us, to sharing your experience and your insights into outdoor learning. Thank you very much indeed, Eric. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sylviva podcast. We hope you learned something new that you can use in your own practice. Feel free to give us feedback and share your experiences at www.silviva.ch slash podcast, where you can also find the show notes as well as more information about learning outdoors in and with nature. See you next time. Mm -hmm.